it always felt a little bit excessive. It's like the annoying teenager that you have in your backseat. He won't shut up. The one thing I love about both the anime and the manga is the world building. The one thing I kind of hate is the depth of the characters. They're all kind of characters or archetypes. Like to your point, the kind of annoying leching teenager. That's what Canada, Canada. I don't know how to say it correctly. Canada. Bob, how do you how do you say it? Canada, Canada. Now I keep saying it because it's like a language in in South India. That's why I keep saying it that way. It's a country up north too, Canada. Very happy new year, Roman. And uh, what have we got in store for 2023? Well, I was thinking we could spice things up a bit. That's right. Let's spice things up. Let's spice up the air with another pandemic. No, I mean like a theme to take us through another year. Another year of quarantine comics. Well, we're vaxxed and boosted, but still not leaving the underground recording bunker that is this podcast. So, sure, whatever works, man. I'm Roman Segel. And I'm Ryan Joe. And we are two dudes who are going back to basics. It is as easy as ABC. This week, nay, this year, we've decided to give ourselves a challenge. Well, no, Roman, you just fiddled with your little spreadsheet and you're calling it a challenge. It's a gimmick is what it is. (laughs) I do love me a good spreadsheet. So for each episode this year, we are going to be moving through the alphabet with each comic that we select, starting with the letter of the alphabet. And since this is the first episode of the year, A is for... Akira. And I'm supposed to say that according to your script in an ominous Japanese voice. That sounds vaguely racist. So in the interest of not getting canceled, I'm not going to do that. Akira. I think it would have been funnier if I just did this like three times and you just said like three really terrible things that start with A. Maybe we'll do that for another episode. That's right. We're reading Akira, the seminal Japanese cyberpunk post-apocalyptic manga series. Say that 10 times really fast. Written and illustrated by Katsuhiro Otomo. This revolutionary Japanese comic ran from 1982 to 1990, serialized bi-weekly in Kodansha's seinen manga magazine, Young Magazine with its 120 chapters collected into six volumes. The work has an outsized influence on not just comics East and West, but its landmark anime film adaptation from 1988 shaped a generation of storytellers. Almost a cross between Blade Runner and Mad Max, with a little bit of 2001 A Space Odyssey thrown in, the film Akira was listed as one of the 10 essential animations. And it wasn't until the early 2000s that Dark Horse finally adapted the original manga for Western audiences like us to read. Akira takes place some 30 years after the 1988 Japanese government atomic bombing of Tokyo after ESP experiments on children go awry. Now, if my math is right, that means Akira takes place in 2019, which was our last good year, wasn't it? Near future fiction indeed. So 31 years after the nuking of Tokyo, Kanada, the leader of a Japanese youth biker gang, as one does, and his pal Tatsuo are cruising the borders of old Tokyo where they have a strange encounter. And he crashes into a mutant teenager with a geezer face. 
which leaves Tetsuo hospitalized. Tetsuo's a whiskey a go go away to a secret government project, and Kanata finds himself subsequently battling anti-government activists, greedy politicians, irresponsible scientists, and a powerful military-industrial complex leader. A Wednesday in Japan. Ultimately, Tetsuo's supernatural powers manifest, and all hell breaks loose. The action culminates at the site of the modern-day Tokyo Olympiad, exposing the experiment's secrets. Otomo has stated that Akira reflects the essence of his views toward life and death and the world which surrounds us, which who knows what that means. Maybe we'll litigate that on the podcast. Probably. Will we come to a conclusion? Probably not. And joining us to help make sense of the world which surrounds us, or at least this comic, is longtime pal to us both and long overdue guest to this podcast, Mr. Bob Arnold. Welcome to Quarantine Comics, Bob. Thanks, guys. Excited to be here. Uh, Lower your expectations. <laughs> yeah, I've been a longtime listener, first time caller, so a little bit nervous, but I'm sure you guys won't tease me too much. We'll, we'll make your first time nice and gentle, Bob. So what most folks do not know is that the very reason this podcast probably exists that is that a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Well, actually, it was a French Riviera rum and not precisely, but you know, maybe the Cannes Advertising Festival is also a wretched hive of scum and villainy. What do you think? <laughs> Checks out. But yeah, way back when, Bob actually introduced Ryan and I at an industry event that neither of us were too jazzed to be at. I'm guessing Bob was trying to pawn us off on the other. Yeah, exactly. Well, actually, I remember that day, and I always wondered what would come of it, you know, what profound thing would come out of it. And coming on this podcast, I realized it's to correct ramen. It's Canada, not whatever you said. So it's not it's not Canada, the South Canada. Indian language yeah. spoken in Karnataka. Canada. That this is the culmination of this relationship right there. Yes, yes. <laughs> podcast over. No, I think either this podcast is gonna get us canceled or we're gonna win a fucking can for this podcast. That's what's happening. Okay, so cancelled it is. <laughs> anyway, hey, thanks Bob for that introduction to Ruman. I've been stuck with him ever since. Yeah, sorry about that. But, you know, I've moved out on the East Coast near you guys. So maybe I can, you know, help separate you a little bit so you don't get too much Roman anymore. Are you saying we're starting another podcast, Bob? Is that what's happening? Yes, yes. <laughs> All right. So anywho, Bob, before we get into talking about Akira in the incorrect pronunciation of Canada, <laughs> we'd love to first hear a little bit about your pop culture tastes. What kind of stories, you know, comic shows, films are you usually into? Well, I guess the question is, does standing in line for whiskey or allocated beer count as pop culture? Because that's what I've been doing a lot lately after the quarantine started. But If you read the labels, it counts. It so. counts, yeah. No, I just stand in line and wait to buy stuff. Actually, ironically, <laughs> I do not really read comics, which is probably one of the reasons why I'm, I probably haven't been on this podcast. So this is going to be the first comic I've read since Raman, do you remember back gosh this was a long time ago you introduced me to watchmen before yeah, the movie yeah. came out yeah that was the last comic i read so wow. so how did it feel jumping back into this the scintillating mixture of text and images it was great i mean what's interesting is the reason why i was excited to read akira is because i watched the movie many times in the 90s and 2000s and every time i watch it i 
don't quite understand the ending. And, you know, every time it's like, it's like that video from Radiohead, Just, I think is the video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, I know what's going on. And the end happens. You're kind of like, oh, maybe not. And that's kind of like with Akira. So I'm hoping like reading the comic would, you know, lend, lend a little more insight into what's going on and why things happen the way they do. And and then the other thing that I found really interesting is just how, at least from what I remember, I haven't seen Akira in a couple of years, how similar the movie's drawings are to the comic book. So I really appreciated that as well. When's the last time you saw the movie, Bob? Well, I did try to watch it a couple of years ago because I think it was on Amazon Prime, but they changed all the English dub voices. I didn't like them, so I stopped watching it. <laughs> So, oh, the dubbing um, is always really distracting every time you watch an anime. It's just, they get the worst voice actors. I, I think they do pretty well on the Jubilee films. They get, you know, movie stars to do the voices there. But generally, it's really bad acting. Yeah, mm. I mean, I thought the original dubbing of Akira was pretty good. I'm pretty sure Kaneda was played by the voice actor who did Michelangelo in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. At least they sound oh, very God. similar to me. So... But so I mean, high, just to get on a, just to get a bit on a bit of a tangent. So you know, watching Akira, I think I watched it in my twenties, and it's like watching a foreign film because it is. And I've always preferred. Maybe this is going to sound really fucking bougie, but like I'd rather just watch it with the original voice and just read the subtitles because I feel like, I guess you know, voice acting is a talent, and it was done right the first time, even if I don't understand the words. I don't remember what I did when I watched Akira. Yeah. It would have been on a DVD. So I would yeah. assume it would have had subtitles. No, I mean, I'm going to show my age here. Like back in the day, I got on VHS and I'm okay. pretty sure it was just dubbed. Not, That's no. all you could get. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. wasn't until the advent of Laserdisc. Actually, did, would the Laserdisc have alternate audio tracks? I don't know. Yes. I feel like we're going to go down a rabbit hole, though. So before we do well, that, before we go into the cavern... The ice quake, the ice, the icy hole where Akira is. Robin, I'm just diving into it. How'd you find Akira? I, I really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm kind of upset, as with a lot of the mangas that we've read, that I read all of it. It's, I think it's six volumes. I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, there's something you can tell it, and maybe it's because we know kind of the story of the book, right? Like the, the anime was an anime you had to watch. It was. One of the first cyberpunks, the motorcycles, Neo Tokyo, dystopic mutants, blah, blah, blah. So I knew what I was getting into. Like you guys, I've seen the film before, and I actually only watched it once in my 20s because I wanted to understand what the big deal was. And I was so, I don't want to say blown away. I just, I didn't know what was happening, but I just kind of went with it. So I knew what to expect coming into it. And it's, it's just, it's just a kinetic ride and manga reads fast. I mean, yeah, they're phone books, sound effect. But I don't know. It it just it, it was a very fast read, and every time I sat down with it, I couldn't put it down. How about you, Bob? Since this is you know you're you're coming to comics for the first time in a long time, and then it's Kira, which you had a really interesting experience with the movie version of it, and now you're reading kind of the original version of it. Yeah, no, I mean same with uh, Ramen. It was really hard to put down. It was super easy read. Flew through it really quickly. I I think. A couple of things jumped out to me, and I'm just comparing it to the movie. So first off, I'm questioning the naming of my cat. His name is Kaneda, named after Kaneda in the movie. True story. Mm. 
And because in the movie, I don't think Kaneda was such an asshole in the movie. He was, you know, he was definitely a bit of a punk, a rebel. But in the manga, he's come out like pushing drugs, potentially impregnated the school nurse, all this stuff. As you do. I mean, did you do that in high school, Bob? I mean, everyone everyone does that. (laughs) No. And... I was just, I was sort of shocked by it. It really made me question my cat's name. I've had my cat for like over 10 years now. So I think it's too late to change his name. Um, but I told just my get rid wife, of the cat. Just get rid of the cat. Yeah, get a new cat. <laughs> Call the new one Tetsuo. Let's <laughs> see how that goes. Yeah, Tetsuo, yeah, he's definitely a tragic figure. But no, so yeah, my wife was just kind of like, Ugh, well. Wait, 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 hang on. Is, is Tetsuo tragic? I mean, he he crashes and he becomes an asshole. So in the movie, in the movie, he is. I I, I think okay. he's less so in the comics. Got it. The the movie really humanizes him a lot more and shows his insecurity, how he kind of feels like he's second fiddle or third fiddle all the time. The, the comic, he's really kind of there for a little bit, and then he gets hurt, and then he becomes an asshole. He, he goes kind of like straight into into villainy, and there's more of a transition, or at least an explanation for why he makes the decisions that he makes to be this sort of person in the movie than the comic. That was my take on it, at least. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was, they seem like genuine friends in the comic. You know, they're doing the race. And then, yeah, the his insecurities start to come out. And, you know, at the end of volume one, he does talk about how he was always second fiddle and things like that. So for me, I mm-hmm. think he still is kind of, tragic but yeah he is he's definitely like a lot meaner i think the characters are a lot meaner in general even the colonel who is like a big asshole in the movie is even more of an asshole in the comic so you think they paired it back for like a wider audience i think they refined it yeah pretty much that i think they just like cut it down for for time is my guess there were like like okay so the colonel he's just kind of like a generic military asshole in the comic but in one of the things I think in the movie is that he has almost sort of like a paternal bond with the children, like the psychic children, like he's looking out for them. And I think that kind of cuts into all of that sort of military, you know, militaristic sort of rage that you see. And you also see how he operates a little more within this bureaucracy of Neo-Tokyo. You get a lot more of the government of Neo-Tokyo in the movie, which is weird because you'd expect to get that in the book. And you see the stressors on him and you see his philosophy a little bit more. And also that also humanizes him. And I think keeps him from being just this sort of like antagonist, this military antagonist that he is in the book, at least in the first two volumes that I read. So I think, I feel like, I really like the book. I I really enjoyed sort of like the kinetic, you know, it's just the environments of the book. You really get a sense of this boys' school that they're at and how chaotic it is. But the first two volumes are really just kind of like wall-to-wall action. It just does not let up. And on the one hand, that's good because it is just a fast-paced, fun read. But the movie feels so much more textured because... It's not just about chases, and it's a lot about the powder keg that is Neo-Tokyo, 
And Kaneda isn't like the only character that you see. In fact, they tone down his appearances. So he also appears like less of a lech. Like in the book, his relationship with Kay is all about like how he's lusting after her. And that in the movie just kind of like only shows up sometimes, like kind of shows mm-hmm. up during some of the quieter moments. So he's not this one note guy who's always trying to get into her pants. So I feel like in a way, the comic is sort of like a rough draft uh, and the movie is sort of like the final version where Otomo is able to like take some of his narrative ideas, some of his ideas about spiritualism and life and death and distill it into something that's two hours. And whereas the comic, it's kind of baggy, both from like really kind of from a narrative standpoint, like there are characters mm. who show up and it's like, why are you here? What do you mm. want? I don't know. It's a lot tighter in the movie and, and i feel it kind of like is a much more complete vision even though it's of course shorter well you know it's interesting i don't know who said it it was a comics writer just to get meta is that reading comics unlike film or podcasts or tv kind of lets you control time and as we were kind of like litigating and comparing the two the anime and the manga it's i remember watching the anime and feeling like it was kind of slow and it was dragging in points because the director controls the pacing. And when you're reading a comic, you control the pacing. So if something's boring, be it rightfully or wrongfully, you know, s- slow story beats, ca- character development, all you want is an action-packed read, you can speed through that and get to those pages and linger on the action and, like, revel in the action and just remember the action. And that's, from what I recall of the anime, and a lot of anime, frankly, it's like there's kind of, like, slow moments. I I'm always feel like I'm editing out cut 45 minutes from this but with all the manga that we've read on this podcast i fly through it and maybe i'm flying through slower moments because i can flip the pages because i can read faster i can you know increase the speed of the podcast so to speak while i'm while i'm reading it so i i genuinely feel like it was more kinetic in the, the, oh, yeah. the manga itself and maybe that's a thing of choice maybe you know it's clearly longer if you do kind of like the page to minute count this is i just looked up akira as a two-hour film and a graphic novel of this size, each one of these is about two hours. But but with a, with an anime or a film, you can kind of control the pace. I don't know. Time is fucking weird. That's what I'll say. I, th- I think Akira, the comic, is just a constant chase. And this is true yeah. for like the first two volumes. It is. They are always running. They're always either chasing or being chased. They're shooting or being shot at. Did it get repetitive for you? Yeah. It did, honestly, because that's what bores me. It's not the movement. It's not like the slow moments where nothing happens on screen or on the page that bore me. It's when I find that I'm in the same pattern over and over again. And whether that pattern is just a man sitting in a chair or it's a man jumping up a wall during a gunfight. If that is the same thing that I'm going to get page after page or minute after minute, that's when I tend to get bored. And I feel that was what happened with Akira. It's just like, over and over, adrenaline, 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 adrenaline. Versus the movie, he takes time to set the scenes. He will let things breathe. There will be an action sequence, and then there will be a much slower sequence or a a sequence that pulls back where you see, okay, this is the powder keg of Neo Tokyo. I want to show you what this world is like, where all of this shit is happening. And it's interesting because like the movie is written and directed by Otomo as well. So it feels like he, I don't know, maybe it's just that in having to conflate multiple volumes of Akira into like one, two hour movie, he had to kind of shove his ideas together and find a more economical way of telling the story and also conveying the weird culture of Neo Tokyo 
and the weird spirituality that kind of dictates his thoughts about life and death. And because of that, you know, it made the movie a lot more textured and to me, at least a lot more, a lot more interesting. Don't you think, though, that like potentially since it was released as a serialized biweekly strip that can like affect the storytelling and like, yeah, and you know, I once at work, I met someone who was a producer. He worked on Breaking Bad years and years ago in, in the very, very beginning. And he talked about it. I asked him lots of questions because I love Breaking Bad. And one of the things that he said, and I was late to Breaking Bad, similar to like this, and that I'm getting like the volume all put together. I, I watched Breaking Bad on Netflix. So I didn't have commercial breaks and things like that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he said was, is that eventually once the network realized like the genius of Breaking Bad, they actually gave Vince Gilliam total control of the timing of the commercials. Right. Yep. And so they didn't have to follow like the every 20 minutes or so commercial break. And obviously when you write for that, you have to write a certain arc that fits in a certain way. If you're making a monthly comic, you got to have an action beat. You got to follow a plot. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. But I think that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about it. The comic feeling like a first draft and the movie feeling like the final draft, because that's where he Mm. actually has time to be like, you know, because in a first draft, you're literally making it up as you go along. And then your next draft and your third draft, you're like, okay, I can take these pieces and actually bring things together for instance when akira the comic opens the boys are just out riding their motorcycles for no real reason they're just kind of out there and then they crash into the kit in the movie they're chasing this they're getting in this gang fight they're like oh the clown gang is out there let's go get them and they go out and that's why they're out in their motorcycles and that's when they run into the kid and at the same time you also have the scene in the movie where you, they shows why the kid is out there. What is he running from? Why is he escaping? Why is he out in the middle of the highway? And so I feel like that shows Otomo, like he's rethought, he's laid out his pieces in the comic. And now he's like, okay, I actually now have a way of actually putting these pieces together in a much tighter narrative so that one thing leads to the next, leads to the next, leads to the next. I don't just have mm-hmm. to have the kids drifting aimlessly on the highway for no real reason. And oh yeah, then they run into the kid. He's bringing all of the different, because there is a clown fight. It just happens in a different time in the comic. He's just bringing all of those different pieces together and refining it. And it creates a much tighter narrative and it creates a narrative with like causality, which is so important in most plots. Like this leads to this leads to this. So to your point of the rough draft, that's kind of what's interesting about comics is the production cost. It's great, but it is significantly cheaper than, you know, a hundred people on a production just look at the credits of any any film right or any anime versus you know the production cost the resource cost of a comic is three people slaving away on a book for years and you can try more things you get more rolls of the dice so to speak yeah i think i think most like most of the ongoing series that we read roman they're they're a bag there's just narrative baggage thing like storylines that go kind of nowhere and i think that's just the nature of like you're on a monthly schedule you're making it up as you go along yeah and some of that i mean this honestly just again to get macro that's part of my issue with watching television these days versus film and i still am probably consuming more television than film and i'm consuming more comics than either of those because at least with comics, I can control the pace. I can get in and out. To your point, if it's baggy, I can fly through the, the baggy parts and kind of like speed my brain through it. 
I guess you can kind of do it with video. You definitely can do it with podcasts, but I don't know. It, it It's still a more consumable thing, but I guess it's not as refined to your, to your point about rough drafts. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes like in a way, like when you see like a storyline that kind of goes nowhere, I feel like you're kind of looking into the writer's head in a way. And you're like, okay, I can kind of see that you thought that you were going to take this character to a certain place and decided, okay, I'm not going to do that at all. So I do sort of appreciate it, even though it's sort of like not perfect. And I'm putting that in quotation marks because yeah. what is perfect? It's not like a fucking diamond or anything like that with flaws. You, you get to see how somebody's creative process works, even in the baggage. And that to me is sort of fascinating. Even if you know the story is like, oh, it doesn't quite work. I don't quite believe this character. To me, sometimes that's fine. I say sometimes because, you know, obviously sometimes I just get annoyed. I, I don't know when. So to me, I do kind of appreciate seeing some of those, I guess what you would call mistakes or whatever, or things that seem sort of inexplicable in stories, be it in TV or in comics. Well, so we've, we've gotten really macro on this. But yeah. What are some, I mean, I remember when I watched the film, because everything I knew about Akira before watching the film in my mid-20s was the fucking motorcycles, right? And one, not enough motorcycles in the film for me. <laughs> and I kind of felt that way in the comics, but at least they had those like copper bikes they kept getting into fights with. I, I don't know. What were your favorite moments or what were some of your favorite parts of the book? Sure. I think for me was the way that volume one's ending, and that's as far as I got in that, you know, the the colonel is really negotiating in a moment of peril for Kaneda where like Kaneda is pretty much toast because Tetsuo can do whatever he wants and so I'm interested to see what happens after that I love like the moment of peril and how it is like painting himself into a corner just being like really naive thinking that he still has dominance over Tetsuo and didn't realize what he was running into I thought that was really cool how that came out and that's very different than the movie. So that really surprised me. And the whole bit about Tetsuo like taking over the clown gang, I thought was really interesting as well. Because they were such a short scene in the movie itself. And you really see like Tetsuo like taking advantage of his power. So I thought that was pretty cool too. Did this change the way you view Tetsuo? Yeah, for sure. It did. In the movie, he was like super tragic figure. And in the book, I think he still is a tragic figure, but he comes to terms with like his powers a lot quicker in the manga. And so he's willing to take advantage of it and show everyone who's boss. So this is really interesting. But the Kaneda whole, you know, he's a real jerk in the manga. And that really shocked me. So I felt that was it was actually too much because in the anime he was fine he was one of many kind of characters actually and here he felt almost sort of like this interloper like what the fuck is this kid this annoying teenager doing in this environment like why is he here you know I kept waiting for him to serve some sort of a purpose and he typically would just pop up and make some sort of wisecrack that was kind of annoying like, I wanted to strangle him in the comic in the way that I didn't in the animated film. And maybe that's just because he felt a little one note to me. He was always kind of making these wisecracks. He was always kind of leching after Kay. And it always felt a little bit, like, excessive. It's like the annoying teenager that you have in your backseat. He won't shut up. Well, yeah, I mean, that's my, my one... 
the one thing I love about both the anime and the manga is the world building. Mm. The one thing I kind of fucking hate about this is the depth of the characters. They're just not there. They're all they're all kind of characters or archetypes, if you will. Like to your point, the kind of annoying leching teenager. That's what Canada Canada I don't know how to say it correctly. Canada. Bob, how do you how do you say it? Canada. Canada. Now, I keep saying it because it's like a language in, in South India. That's why I keep saying it that way. It's a country up north, too, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, they're pretty one-dimensional, the characters. And that's fine because they're great. If anything, that accentuates the backdrop or the plot or the action sequences. So I don't need to think as much about their motivations, I guess. But it's the one thing that left me wanting. I didn't really connect with anyone. Well, you don't think that they're just, I mean... They are teenagers, and they don't know what they want. I mean, you know, they just want to have fun, do drugs, and party. One, maybe that's a more accurate depiction of teenagers. But two, I've seen fucking CW dramas with more depth to the teenagers, and maybe that's a flaw of CW dramas. I kinda, yeah. Well, I kind of wonder if, you know, so when Otomo wrote this, I don't know how old he was, but if, you know. Oh, looking that up. So He's like, pretty young. Yeah, Right. So who's the target audience for this? Is it like another 16-year-old boy, a 15-year-old boy? Like maybe they're the ones who Otomo is really writing for. Like it's like a mm. most fantasy, right? Where you put yourself into the mind, you into the into like Frodo Baggins. You are Frodo Baggins in Lord of the Rings. Just like in this, you are a 15-year-old, 16-year-old boy reading it and you're this badass teenager on a bike yeah, yeah lusting after yeah. girls taking no shit from authority and so maybe when you're 15 16 and you're reading this you're like oh yeah that is so cool that is who i want to be and now as like middle-aged men are reading this we're like dude shut the fuck up <laughs> you know uh, that, well, that, 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 it's well, just like we're too old <laughs> we're too yeah, old so so according to wikipedia i was just looking it up he was asked to write for a new publication called young magazine well, and, and going further, so he was born in 1954, so when this came out in 1988, he was 34 years old. So he was, like, oh, okay. probably the same age as, like, Rob Liefeld or Jim Lee, right, when he started creating this. But so. still, like, those guys were kind of writing towards for the 15, exactly. 16-year-old boy audience. Exactly, exactly, exactly. That was the market in 1988 Japan, I would imagine, reading action manga in whatever the name of the magazine was. Yeah. Well, I think he started Akira in 82, I think. So there you go. He was in his 20s. Yeah, he was in his 20s. Roman, what did you like about it? Since it definitely not the characters. Yeah, no, the world building. You know, it's funny. I'm sure I've seen a zillion films where they're like, one day a bomb was dropped and 30 years later, this is a story. You know, like, I love that shit. And it just takes it further because it's, I guess, not even world building, the plot building. Like, what happened? What were the machinations that drove it? There's this thing buried in the ground that we were trying to create, and it's not a fucking Godzilla monster. It's what we did to our people. That macro plot in the world building is just fascinating to me. I eat that shit up. and uh, Yeah, it, that itself is very, very textured, down to the choices of what the streets look like, what the vehicles look like, how bars are just still just bars, you know? Mm. Gangs are still gangs, etc. So, yeah, it, it's, it was a lot of fun to just kind of live in the world. I just didn't like the people I was living with. There's this overwhelming anxiety over the bomb, right? Like that specter 
hangs over the head of Neo Tokyo. That speaks about 50 years of Japanese literature. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. And then there's this constant fear of destruction, which which does happen again in Volume 3. It happens again at the end of the movie. Neo Tokyo is just obliterated. Mm-hmm. One of the things that was actually really interesting, we read The Pushman Ramen, which is a series of small scripts yeah. that take place after, right? Class. During yeah. the rebuilding of Japan after World War One, And that was always, it actually kind of feels like an interesting companion piece to Akira, even though obviously it's not sci-fi, but it's these working class dudes <laughs> And men and women taking part in the rebuilding of Japan, but it is, is exhausting. It is tiring. In many instances, it is demeaning and demoralizing. And it feels like that attitude in Akira hasn't gone away. Like the world of Neo Tokyo, it's an interesting world, but it's also a depressing as hell world because it's just so dirty. It's gritty. And there are people in power and there is wealth there, but... I mean, those people are so petty and they're a bunch of, in the the anime, you see them. They're just a bunch of like squabbling children, it feels like. There's like no faith in the authority figures of of Neo-Tokyo. So it's incredibly dystopic. What was your favorite part, Ryan? So one thing I think Otomo does that I haven't seen anyone else do with, is with the action sequence is that he really sets it in like the setting. Like he really takes advantage of the setting in a way that I don't think... I'm just trying to think back of all of the other comics we read with action sequences. And yeah, you know, there's usually it's some, there's some good fight sequences, but they like a Tomo, like for instance, there might be a shootout in a, in a, in a labyrinthine hallway and the characters, you know, they're shooting at each other down the hallway. And then one of the characters sees like a side corridor and she'll sprint down it. And so as these action sequences are taking place, you also get a really firm sense of setting. They're kind of laying out this very complex landscape. And that both sort of grounds the action sequences. It also creates a a really firm sense of place because as these gunfights are happening or whatever, you're very aware of the environment around you. And And I think that's really hard to do because... He has to do more than just stage a shooting, stage a fist fight, stage a whatever, stage a knife fight. He has to actually take into account all of the other stuff that's surrounding them and incorporate that somehow. And as he's doing that, he's also mapping out the entire environment. So you as the reader have a very good sense of this world that they're inhabiting. And when you're saying the world feels lived in, you don't think of it in the context of a gunfight because that's just, you know, it's so kinetic. You're just kind of whizzing Mm -hmm. past the world. But in... Atomo's case, the gunfights and the action sequences actually make the world feel much more lived in because of the way they're interacting with it as they chase each other, as they try to kill each other. Does that make sense? I do think the, the action is a set piece. And that's one of the things that Atomo gets so much credit for is his kind of action yeah. sequences, this kind of kinetic style. We take a lot of this for granted, be it The Matrix, be it John Wick. And we said this in the intro. So many storytellers were inspired by what happened in this more the the anime than the manga, but the manga is inspired by the anime. The, the manga is a sketch of it. So, I mean, action as a set piece. This is kind of one of the originals for it. Well, I think a lot of people kind of capture the kineticism of it, the kinetic energy of it. But I think he does more than just, you know, it's just more than speed lines and dynamic poses. It's the fact that this action is actually taking place in this world. And as the action is taking place, you understand the world a little bit better. And I think that's really, really rare. I can't think of another storyteller 
who does that. So that's what I think makes him special. And I don't know if anyone has ever been able to imitate it. Maybe Frank quietly, actually, you know, cause he kind of does something similar where he kind of has these very intricate scenario landscapes where people are fighting or interacting or, and you get a sense of it as the characters move about in that space. Maybe he's the only one. I don't know. I I just pulled that out of my ass. I think it's true, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Bob, for what little you've read, volume one only of this box set after having seen the films what are your kind of closing reflections i think for me it's funny like how you know you guys are talking about the lack of depth of the characters and and so forth and i think that's probably true but i do personally feel like i'm getting to know their world a bit better you know like there are things about the characters that i don't like because they're like against my values or whatever. And like like I said, like for Kaneda, he was someone I really enjoyed in the movie. And now I have like second thoughts about it, but I actually kind of like that since I've first seen the movie, I like the bad guys winning. I like when there's like a little bit of gray on who's the quote unquote good guy and bad guys in stories. And so actually I'm enjoying it a lot more And I'm looking forward to reading the rest of the volumes and just hoping to get more insight into like how it ends and what really goes on there. Because despite watching the movie, you know, probably six or seven times, like I'm still confused. And so I'm hoping that because I'm getting a little bit more texture that I will finally come to my own conclusions and grasp it better, better. Do you think it's like you've watched the film so many times and you said this at the beginning that it's still hard to make out what's happening in the film because it happens so fast. Do you think because of that, you were grasping the characters more and upon each watch? Yeah, I mean, upon each rewatch, I did. and But I felt like I knew the characters pretty well, but I didn't understand like why things happened in the end the way they did. And that was always unsettling for me. Like It was just a little bit too out of the blue for me. Yeah. So do you plan to finish? I mean, I, I seem to recall you bought the whole box set for this episode. So you've got five more. You finish yeah, them? absolutely. Absolutely. And would you recommend the manga, not the anime, to a friend? I I think I would. I, I love the, all the action, the hyper action in it. Like, that's what kept me into the volume and, like, why I had trouble putting it down even with uh, like a little four-year-old running around our living room asking me to play, I was like ignoring him. Bad dad. Uh, <laughs> Akira, it's good for ignoring your children. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, he wanted to he wanted to look at it. He thought the the drawings were amazing. So no, I, I think I definitely would recommend it. The real important question is for Halloween next year: <laughs> Is your son going to be dressed up as Tetsuo or? Canada. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, as long as he's not dressed up like Blippy again, I'll be okay with it. So nice. Ryan, what about you, man? Akira? Or oh actually, do you plan to finish reading it? Yeah, I'm kind of curious where it all goes. Because, you know, most of like the movie takes place in the first two volumes, I feel. So like there's four more volumes. So what the F is gonna happen? I don't know. Would I recommend it conditionally? I think I would recommend it to like Kind of like what I said about the, I, I recommend reading the comic, but also watching the movie because I think the interplay between those two is, is where it gets really interesting. The comic in and of itself, 
like I mentioned earlier, feels rough. The artwork is amazing, but the storytelling is just like he hasn't figured it out entirely yet. And then what's really cool is that in the movie, you can see him taking the pieces and putting them together very, very creatively in a way that makes a lot more sense. And I think that's really interesting because in a way, like even the first two, three volumes of Akira that I read feels a little bit like a narrative mess. And like, how the hell are you going to put this together? And the movie answers that. So yeah, under those circumstances, I would definitely recommend the comic. How about you? Are you a yay or a nay? I mean, it comes back to what do you like? You know, it is absolutely conditional. Um, And it's not conditional if you like manga or anime. Do you like action films? If you like action films, have I got something for you? So, you know, if someone tells me, I like John Wick, I like The Matrix, it's the greatest movie ever made, you probably should read Akira. If you like, you know, post-apocalyptic, dystopic, alternate future stuff, right? If you like cyberpunk, watch, you know, see the granddaddy of all cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then if, if you like biker and crime movies, this will probably be for you. But if you like reading, I don't know, My Friend Dahmer, <laughs> like, maybe... So if you want deep character interrogation, probably not. But if you want to like, it's not even turning your brain off. If you want to light your brain up. Fair enough. I feel like that's the thing. Like Akira the comic kind of operates at the level of an action movie, a very, a very fun action movie, but it is like John Wick. And then the movie just takes it to another level. Yeah. So Bob, I've got to ask a very important question. What's the next letter in the alphabet? B. <laughs> well, Ryan, have I got a question? What question you? is that? <laughs> what are we reading next week, man? Next week, we're going to read Blade of the Immortal, another manga by Hiroki Samura. It is a period samurai revenge story. Haven't read any of those ever. Ever? No. I, but I've always felt like Blade of the Immortal, and this isn't going to be a selling point for you, Roman, since I know you freaking love Charles Dickens. But if Charles Dickens wrote a samurai epic, it would be Blade of the Immortal. by the word, Charles Dickens. Here's what it is. It's got the grotesquery of Dickens, the kind of like the villains who are, who kind of wear their villainy on their sleeve and in their appearance. It's got the little orphan who's, who's just trying to make it in the world. I'm going to be looking for who Miss Havisham is. There is a Miss Havisham. Oh yeah. Okay. I think I know who it is, but I don't know if we're going to get to her because she appears later on. But anyway, I don't know how many volumes we're going to read. We'll figure that out later. But I I read this in my, I don't know, in my 20s, and it really left an impression on me. The most artistic butchery you've seen. Nothing like a reread to ruin the impression from your childhood. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I'll I'll read it again and be like, man, it sucks. What was going through my mind? I must have been an imbecile. But hopefully not. Nice. Well, Bob, thank you for finally joining. And we hope you'll come back to uh, not trash comic books with us. Thanks for having us. Yes, Bob, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. You guys like really take this seriously. I'm super impressed. It's because we're dead inside. Yeah, well, what else are we going to do at a time? Like our jobs? No. <laughs> and that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. qtdcomics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old, and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Jones.